morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah? Okay, well, good. Good, good to see everybody. Hey, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, the days have been getting shorter over the last several months. And, uh, you know, um, we're in the third week of Advent. And uh, I was thinking about this this last week. A lot of times people, they look at what we do over at the Advent um, candles and they they say, well, why do we light that pink candle? And um, I want to give you some background on that because it has everything to do with uh, what's going on outside. Because I know that um, this last Wednesday, I just found this out from the... uh, from the weatherman a couple of weeks ago, but he said, you know, this last Wednesday was the, what was it? It was the earliest that we're going to have a sunset, you know? So from here on out, the sun's going to kind of, the day's going to get longer on the backside. It's still going to get shorter on the front side until we get to kind of that, that shortest day of the year. But, but that's the earliest. So we're not going to see any, you know, after a while, we're not going to see any more 4.30 sunsets, you know, which are kind of depressing. And so this is that time of year where everything gets depressing because the day keeps kind of crunching down. And it looks like night, you know, takes over. And, and so the, the people that were um, developing this, you know, idea of, of, uh, of the advent, they, they said, you know, we need to do something to lighten people's spirit up a little bit. And so they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to light a pink candle. That'll get them, right? <laughs> so are you guys feeling excited? Did you see the pink, huh? Pink candle day. Woohoo. But you came in here, you didn't even know this is the day you signed up for it, huh? You said, I think I'll go to church today. And then you find out it's pink candle day. Anyway, um, during these times, uh, another thing that people try and do to kind of lighten their spirits is uh, they go on vacation, right? How many like to go on vacation around this time of year when it gets really cold, right? It's like, please, let's go away. Days are getting shorter, getting colder, and they say, let's get out of here. Okay, so how many like going on vacation? I can't, something's wrong with you guys. I don't see many. Anybody? Yeah, come on. Like going on vacation, really? You guys are like, no, I don't like going on vacation. Gosh, you're probably Grinches too, right? You don't give out Christmas presents. So um, how many like coming home from vacation? No. <laughs> no, no, come on. Seriously, right? Coming home. And I don't mean the coming home. Sure, everybody likes coming home because you like your own house and your own bed and all that. I mean, do you remember like two days before you leave from vacation to come home and you think, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. All that stuff I went on vacation about, it's still there. Right, So whether it's the days are shorter or it's colder and it's darker or it's just that stress and the chaos that made you want to go on vacation in the first place, that's what I mean. Anybody like that coming home? No, nobody likes that coming home, right? You know, I was thinking this this week about what's the difference because we were going to be talking about joy because that's what this is. Today, they said, you know, we're going to light the pink candle, but we're also going to talk about joy because this is the time of year that we got to remember, oh yeah, where's our joy, Right? because we want to keep focused on, on what the real purpose of the season is about. But, but I was thinking about what is, what's the difference between like what we would call happiness and what we would really be talking about when we talk about joy. And, and happiness is kind of like going on a vacation, isn't it? Happiness is like that short break that you get kind of in your real world where something happens and you get to just feel like it's a different world for about a day and a half and then maybe it goes away. Right? Happiness is that short break, but then reality always comes crashing in. And why? Because happiness has an end point, because happiness is always determined by what happens. And if you notice in the English language, both of those words, they have the same root, this hap. 
And it has to do with what's happening. We're happy because of what's happening. And what's happening, our circumstances, they always change. And because of that, you know, if we have great circumstances, we're feeling happy. And then all of a sudden those great circumstances go away and we don't feel so happy anymore. The happiness goes away. But joy, joy is different than that. When God talks about joy, joy is like when a vacation, whoa. And all of a sudden, do you guys hear me now? Wow, did you hear me before? Just really light. (laughs) All of a sudden I hear me now. That's awesome, okay. Surprised me. Um, joy, joy is like when a vacation, like if it were to find you and like invade you and never go away. That's what, that's what um, joy is like. Joy is like it's in you. It's that kind of thing where you can, it's not determined by your circumstances. In fact, joy is something that you take with you into whatever circumstances you, you face. Joy doesn't change because joy is not anchored into, into things that pass away. Joy is anchored into the eternal. And that's what we want to talk about today. That's what God was saying his intention for our lives was, is that they would be filled with joy, not with just happiness every once in a while that then goes away, but that they would be filled with a continual joy. And so I, I want us to stand together and hear again these words from Isaiah 55, uh, a part of which were read up here, but Isaiah 55, 12 and 13. So if you want to stand with me, this is God's word. And, and I want you to know this. These were written thousands of years ago, but these words especially, because they're about God's intention for us in our lives, these are God's words to us. They're God's words to you. They're God's words to me. This is God's intention. So listen to these words. This is his word to you. You will go out with joy. You will be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of a thorn bush, a cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, a myrtle will come up and it will be a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Does that sound like a good word? You will be led with, forth with joy, led forth in peace. Can you imagine being in a, a situation that's so, so joyful, so defined by joy that even the mountains are breaking out into shouts, right? Even the trees are clapping their hand. It says that even it changes the very nature of what even springs up out of the ground. You don't get thorns and nettles instead of you're getting these beautiful trees. That is what God says his promise to us. That's God's intention to us. That his joy in our lives would spill over so much that you'd even see it in nature itself, even in the trees of the field. Amen? Today's message is titled, The Trees of the Field. Let's pray. Father, we wanna thank you. We wanna thank you that the joy that you give us isn't anchored into things that are transitory, into things that that move or shift or pass away or change their nature or get broken or, God, they're not of this world. Your joy and your peace, they, they don't come from this world. They're not anchored in this world. They're transcendent. There's something that you say takes root within us and and remains It changes everything around it, but is not changed by any of it. And God, that's the the joy that we want to talk about today. That's the joy that we want to understand more about today because we need joy like that. We don't need more happiness. We don't need happiness that you're just constantly wondering, when's this going to end? How long might this be able to stretch out? 
And might I have this kind of reprieve in my life from some of the sorrow or the sadness that I see or some of the, just the brokenness that we see in the world around us. And Father, you said you, you intend to give us a joy, that you intend to lead us out from this experience into that kind of joy and into a peace that just, it, it flourishes, it, it expands, it grows, and it affects and impacts everything about our lives and everything about the world that we see around us. So Father, we wanna know about that joy today. We wanna know about that joy that comes from your spirit. So we ask that you would fill this place with your spirit, that he would be the one teaching us. He would be the one opening our eyes and our hearts so that we would understand and know, know what this joy is, know where it comes from, know how we can find it and how we can grab hold of this promise and this intention that you had for our lives. So Father, come and, and do your work in us. We pray that we would, would uh, grab hold of that life. We would be a little bit more shaped into that life by the time we leave than when we came in. And we pray these things in Jesus' name for your glory by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So like I said, today is the, the third the third week of, of Advent. And so again, we have the, you know, we have the, the candle lit and we're, we're talking about joy. And, and joy has always been a part of the Christmas story. Joy was a part of the story um, because when the angels show up to the, the shepherds and they tell them, they said, this is our message to you. I bring you great tidings of these glad tidings of great joy, right? And the joy, they said, will be to all the people. And so all the people, that includes us, Right? We're part of all the people. And so he said, you know, I have this, this important message I want to get to you about joy and tells the shepherds about the Savior that's born in Bethlehem. Joy, uh, we also read in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and it says that joy is something that comes to us when, when we enter a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and he pours out his spirit within us. And that one of the, the results of his spirit being there is joy. Right? There's love, joy, peace. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And so joy um, comes as a result of God taking up residence within us through his Spirit. Also in the Old Testament, in the book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3.17, you know, it says, the Lord God is in your midst. He is a mighty warrior who will save you. And he dances wildly over you with joy. He will comfort you with his love and quiet you, and he exalts over you with joyful singing. Here's this picture of, of joy, and we, we think, you know, where does this joy come from that God gives us? Is it something that he just gives us as a gift? It ends up, it comes from him. You have this picture in Zephaniah of this is what God's like, that when he sees the ones that he loves, which is us, right? He, he just, he goes nuts. He's filled with joy. It just, he dances wildly and shouts and sings as he comforts and quiets us with his love. Joy comes from God's heart. Now in Isaiah's day, when Isaiah was writing to them, Isaiah 55, they were not experiencing 
The people of God weren't experiencing the joy of the Lord. They weren't experiencing happiness. They weren't experiencing goodness at all. Um, in Isaiah's day, uh, God's people in Judah, they were facing the threat of this, this empire, this army of Assyria was coming down. And they had already taken out like two thirds of the country to the north. They had taken 10 of their 12 tribes had been taken away into, uh, into captivity. Uh, they, had, they were pressing in towards Jerusalem. They were wiping out these cities of Judah. They were torching the land as they came in. And so the people of God, Judah, they were not uh, very happy. They were not experiencing much joy. They were not, this was not like a vacation invading their lives. This was terrible, what was happening. And then, in addition to that, in Isaiah's day, God had given uh, Judah a message. And he said, you know what? You're not gonna be taken by the Assyrians. And so that was good news. But he says, but you are gonna be taken into captivity later because of the injustice and the disobedience that has been among you. You're gonna be taken into captivity into Babylon. And so for them, this was a hard time. And, and as Isaiah is writing in the midst of this, what we find though in the book of Isaiah is even in the midst of their worst possible kind of scenario of what they're watching unfold in their history, God wants them to know, but my heart for you hasn't changed and my intentions and my promises to you haven't changed. I still intend to bring this joy in. So in chapter six, the first thing that he does is when he calls Isaiah to be his messenger, he brings him up and he, Isaiah has this, this vision of heaven and he sees God sitting on a throne and the angels are calling back and forth to each other and they're calling holy, 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 which means unlike any other, unlike any other, unlike any other is Yahweh, the commander of the heaven's armies. And then he says this line, says, and the fullness of the whole earth is his glory. What he's saying there is God is telling them that, you know what? My glory is not seen in Assyria's rise to power. My glory is not seen in the power of Assyria to come in and to kind of take over whatever land. My, my glory is not seen in 10 tribes being carted off to captivity. My glory is not seen in the fact that I can raise up Babylon when it looks like Assyria is gonna last forever, that also out of nowhere I can raise up Babylon and they can take over Assyria. My glory is not seen in that any time that my people disobey that they can be disciplined by whatever nation I bring in. My glory is not seen in these. Instead, he says, my glory is when people flourish. My glory is when the whole earth is flourishing. The whole earth is in its fullness and all of the people. He says, that has always been my intent. That's always been my promise to my people. And that's the thing that God says he has always been working towards in our lives. And he goes on to, he goes on to call Isaiah as his messenger and say that he will be the announcer of this, this message of God's heart. So when we look in the Old Testament of for, forever, Isaiah's, Isaiah's um, book has been called like the gospel of the Old Testament because of the good message. Sure, it tells of God's judgment, but along with that, it tells about this child that God will bring. It tells about this seed that will be planted and it will take root. It tells about this salvation that God intends to bring and this new world that God is going to bring in so that there is no more sorrow, no more death, and no more sadness. And it tells about this joy 
that he intends to bring in, this joy that is to come. Now, just prior to that part of that message that we read, that part about you will go out with joy, we heard it when it was in the Advent reading. We heard God say, and I want you to know something. You know, this is part of the message that he gave to Isaiah. He said, I want you to know something about my words. My words are not like your words. My promises are not like your promises. When I say something, there's not the threat that it might go out and not come to pass. I wouldn't say it unless it was going to happen. And you can count on it. He says, my words are not like your words. My promises, if I say it, it will happen. And then he tells us his promise. You will go out with joy and you will be led forth with peace. So the people of Israel looked at that and they said, okay, so why don't we see it? And sometimes we look at that and we say, okay, why don't we see it, right? Why don't I see that joy that God talks about? Why don't I see that in my life? Why don't I see that thriving, that, that fulfilling, that fullness of his peace? And not just any peace. You know, in the Old Testament, the word for peace was shalom. And shalom doesn't just mean that you're not in a fight with somebody. Shalom means that there's this this fullness of God's, of God's goodness, of life as he intended it. Relationships are as they were meant to be. The crops are coming up in the field like they were meant to. Everybody is, is at peace with one another. So, so there's this, uh, sh- shalom was this kind of this um, blessing that was just filling your life. And we say, well, why am I not seeing that? Why am I not seeing the shalom of God in my life? Well, I think when we ask that, especially with this passage, we, we, we miss a part. And we, we do this sometimes when we read scripture. We, we zero in on the joy and the peace part. But did you notice that it said you will go out with joy, right? And you'll be led forth with peace. Well, go out implies that we're going to leave somewhere where we are currently, right? And being led forth means we're going to be led to something and to a place where we are not currently, So the question that we should be asking is not so much, why don't I experience the joy and why don't I know the peace that God promises? But from this, it should be, is there a place I should be exiting if I want to experience God's joy? Is there a place, is there somewhere I should be going that God wants to lead me, a place that God wants to lead me so that I might experience his peace? Where is God taking me? Where is he taking me from and where is he taking me to? Now, the people of Judah in Isaiah's day and then later, when they got taken into captivity, they thought the day of their joy and the day of their peace was gonna be the day that they finally got out of Babylon, right? They were captive there for a long time. And so the day they left, they were were shouting, they were singing because they thought this is the day that we're being led, we're being going forth out of Babylon with joy and we're gonna enter into Jerusalem and enter back into the promised land and we're gonna finally have peace. We're gonna finally experience the shalom as God just blesses us and our life kind of lines up with what we always knew it was supposed to be. Well, the problem was, was they got back and they found that all that they experienced now was these armies or these nations around them kept harassing them. And then they find out that the Greeks just end up taking over after the Persians and they, they capture them and the Greeks oppress them. And then the Romans come in and the Romans oppress them. 
And they found that the temple never did get built to his former glory. And they didn't see just the glory of God in the way that they had before. And the kingdom of David was never set up again. So they never saw the justice and the, the, the mercy and kind of the, the practice even in their government that they had hoped for. So they looked at this and, and they found out and they, they just... They looked at this, what they thought had been joy, and they realized, you know, that wasn't joy. It was just kind of this burst of happiness, right? For, for, for a little while, we thought we kind of experienced things that we thought maybe everything had changed, but we found it, we had just a little bit of happiness, and we, then reality came crashing back in. And they became disappointed, became disappointed with God because they didn't experience the peace and that, that ongoing joy that they thought that this represented. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, you know, how, how often do we, do we experience that kind of disappointment with God, right? Because we anchor our hopes for joy and for peace on things that are gonna change in that same way. These things that can't possibly hold up under the weight of our expectations because they are transitory. They are just of this world. They can't possibly hold out. For example, we, we hope that that new job right? We hope that maybe that new move to a new place, we hope that that new relationship that we enter into, or we hope that that, that new um, car that we buy, or that, that new item, that new toy that we buy, or, or maybe that vacation that we go on, we hope that that's going to that fill some of those unsettled places. That's going to quiet some of that, that disturbed, kind of that, that stirring that's in our hearts, that unsettledness. And we're disappointed because it goes away. We might experience happiness for a while, but they don't bring us joy because God never promised that joy would come from circumstances. God never promised he, that joy would be anchored in the stuff of this world because joy is eternal. And we find that joy has to be anchored into something or someone who is eternal as well, something that will last and will never change because otherwise it just ends up being happiness for a while. So we look back in our passage and we say, okay, so, so if, if it's not getting out of Babylon and going back to that, if it's not getting out of my old job and getting into a new one, if it's not, if it's not that, then where are we supposed to be going? Where is it that we're leaving? Where is it that God's taking us? And again, we look back to our passage in Isaiah 55, verses six through eight. And God gives us some clues about what he's talking about. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, and, and, and that's an interesting word, that word for wicked, because really it, you look at it and it's, it's the person who kind of is developing life after their own thinking, you know, they're, they're figuring it out on their own, right? That's what God calls the wicked because we tend to come up with ways that aren't God's ways, right? We tend to go off on our own. And he says, let the wicked leave his way, leave her way, right? That's what he wants us to leave. And, and let the troubled ones, which is another interesting word, it's those who are troubled in themselves, but they're causing trouble all around them because they're so unsettled that they're unsettling everything that they touch. Let the troubled ones leave their thoughts and let them return to the Lord and he will have compassion on them and 
to our God and he will abundantly pardon them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't promise that joy will come because of a change of venue or that joy will come because of an addition of stuff. You know, sometimes we try to, we try to organize and almost like curate our lives so that they'll just, happiness will continue to pile up and pile up and pile up. We try and gain a bunch of stuff so that we can be happy all the time, a new thing, and that makes us happy. And then when that starts to die out, we get a new thing so that that can keep us on this kind of happy because happiness doesn't, but God doesn't promise that joy ever comes from more and more stuff or from, from this life of just event after event or activity and experience after experience. You know, isn't it interesting that when the, when the shepherds left after the angels, you know, after they went in and saw the baby Jesus, right? They left and what'd they go back to? Shepherding, nothing changed. I mean, they went back to a life where they, were, they continued to be, people still didn't trust them. They still didn't like them. They didn't like having them around. That was the life of a shepherd. On the way out the door, you know, nobody said to him, an angel didn't catch him and say, okay, uh, by the way, if you're gonna ever find joy in this life, you're gonna probably need to, on your way back, probably go to school, you know, get a better job, take a bath, quit being a shepherd if you wanna find joy. He didn't say that. They said, no, you'll find joy when you go to this place and you see this baby born, this is my savior and you will take that joy with you. And it says that they went back to shepherding, rejoicing because the joy went with them. The joy didn't go away. They had seen what God was doing that it transcended anything that was going on in this world. And they went back rejoicing because the joy at that point couldn't be taken away from them. You know, God promises in Isaiah, not that if we change our life circumstances, we'll find joy. He promises, he promises that we will find joy if we give up these pathways that we have set up for our own lives. If we give up living by our own thoughts, that our own, these thought processes that are, are, are kind of developed for our own benefit. And he says, if you'll put those aside, and learn to think my thoughts after me and follow in my ways after me. Be led in my thoughts and my paths. If you'll let yours go and take up mine so that your life is, is shaped around the desires of my heart, he says, that's where you'll find joy. He says, that's the only place you'll find joy. That's the only place you'll find this peace. That you start living a life that feels like it's, you're thriving, that it feels like it's fulfilling your heart, it's fulfilling everything that God intended for you. So joy is not found in these temporary better situations. Joy instead is found when we leave all these temporary things and we instead anchor our lives and our hopes and our ways and our directions and our thoughts on the one who never changes on the God who never changes. Joy is found when we enter the peace that is only found in a relationship with God through Jesus, period, period. There's nothing in this world that can bring us joy. 
because everything changes. But the eternal joy of God is found in Jesus Christ. You know, in the last part of that, that passage, that's what he's talking about. That's where he starts talking about the, the, how this, this joy never changes and how it takes root in our lives and it changes everything. And it's, it's that part that, that we read at the end where it talks about you know, the thorns and the thistles and the, the, um, the cypress trees and the myrtles. And you know, we, we read about that, we read that or we hear that and we just kind of glaze over and we're like, oh, that's pretty, but I, I have no idea what it means. Right, because I, I mean, I don't run into myrtle trees or, or cypress trees. I, I have no idea what it's talking about. So sometimes we read stuff in, in the Bible like that and we go, that's really pretty poetry, I guess, but it's not for me. In Isaiah's day, they would have known exactly the, what he's saying though. They would have known what these plants meant because the thorn bush that he's talking about, it's a, it's a relative of the rose and we understand roses. Roses are beautiful. They have these beautiful plants, but you know, the flowers, but they have these thorns, don't they? Right, and that's what this, this was like. It shoot out these, every, in the springtime, it would shoot out these, these pretty flowers, but you know, as soon as it would dry up, and in the desert, the dry season is, is real long, the, the wet season is real short, so you had these pretty flowers for a little bit, but then all you had was this dried out husk with these huge thorns. And what people, you know, it was pretty for a while, but then all it was good for was to start a fire with, right? And, and then the nettle that it's talking about, these, these, um, these thistles that it's talking about, it's the, it was this plant that also had this, this pretty flower. Again, it's in the, in the desert, and so it would shoot this out in the spring, but it would only last a short period of time. And the problem with it was, even when it shot the flower out, it smelled bad. You know, it had a pretty flesh. So you're kind of in this ambivalent relationship with this thing. It's like, do we bring it in the house because it's so pretty or leave it outside just because it stinks and leave it at the neighbor's house? You know, I mean, it, it was, and so he's saying, that's kind of like what happiness is like, isn't it? That's kind of what our, happy, our experience of happiness. You'll have this thing for a moment that looks beautiful, but then sometimes you're left with the results of it are just dried out husks with thorns. Or you have this thing that looks beautiful, but it has this kind of order that goes along with it, and you're not sure whether you like it or not, right? So it's kind of happiness, but it's not really happy, right? Anybody been in a, like a relationship like that? Yeah, I think you know, probably all of us have. Anybody had a relationship with some of your possessions like that? That you're going to love this thing, but man, it's just a, what a pain. A boat, for example, around here, you talk about what's the best day, best day in your life? <laughs> it's the day you buy your boat. Second best day is the day you sell it, right? I mean, it's that, it's like, I don't know whether I love this thing or hate it. I, that's, that's how life is. And he says, he says, it's not going to be like that. Instead, it's going to be like the cypress or the myrtle. And what were these? These are these trees that grow. And they're evergreens, so they don't change. When you put them in and, and you see them grow, they stay green all year round. It doesn't matter whether they have a bunch of a water to them. It doesn't matter whether it's dry season or wet season, winter, cold, summer. It, it doesn't matter. They're going to stay the same, and they're going to grow, and they'll continue to grow. And both of these trees, they were known for their fragrance. They were known for the wood that they produced because it was so useful to people God says, that's what joy is like. That's what peace will be like. It will anchor into your heart. His promise in Isaiah is that we will give up, if we'll give up our own pathways and our own thinking, 
that his joy will come in and it'll take root in us and it won't just be there, it'll stay the same and it will grow and it won't be kind of half good and half bad, it'll be all good. In fact, it'll be so useful, it'll just keep growing in its richness and in its strength and in its, the usefulness in our lives. He says joy is not found in these, these kind of temporary things in our lives. Instead, God's joy is eternal. And then he says at the end of this verse, and he says, and you know what? This tree, this, this joy, this peace, this, this evergreen, ever flourishing tree in you. He says, I'm going to establish it. It's gonna be like a monument to my name. It's gonna be like a memorial of my faithfulness. So when people look at your life and they see a joy that they can't understand, they don't know how you, it's going to be two things. It's going to be a memorial that says, look at what God can do. And two, it's going to be like a sign that says, look at where you can find this same joy and this same peace. Because the angel said, you know, this is going to be to all the people. So how is he going to get that word out there? He's not going to send angels to everybody. No, he sends us to everybody as messengers who we stand as these, they see the joy and the peace that are in our life that have nothing to do with the circumstances. In fact, as the circumstances of life as they hit and you see bad circumstances and we say, you know what we say? We say, I'm so glad <laughs> that my joy is not dependent on that, right? I'm, not, I'm so glad I don't have to anchor my hopes and dreams on the temporary and the transitory things of this world. I'm so glad that Jesus has anchored me into himself and bringing me into a world where it will all be made new, where sorrow and, 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 and death and, and sickness, there will be no more. Say, I'm so glad that's where my hope is from. That's where my joy comes from, that I'm not here. So even in the midst of terrible things going on, I can say, this is not where my joy lies. Because our lives were meant to be memorials to God's faithfulness. Our lives were meant to be signs that point others to where they might find that same joy, the same peace, the same confidence, the same grace, so that they might also abandon their own thoughts and their own ways, take up the thoughts and ways of God. You know, the last thing that the angels said to the shepherds, they said, this is great news of great joy for all the people because to you has been born a savior and his name is Jesus. His name is Christ the Lord. You know, he said, you're gonna find joy because there's something about this child, this child that Isaiah talked about when he said a child would be born. This, this child that was even, we saw a couple of weeks ago, was talked about all the way back in the, in the Garden of Eden. And God said, there's a child coming. There's a, there's a, a promise I'm bringing in, it will be in the form of this child is born. There's something about this child that will show you what it means to be led out with joy and who will also be the one who leads you forth into this peace. And he says, as a result, all of creation is going to just erupt into shouting and singing. So you say, okay, that's great. So practically, practically, what does that look like? Practically, what does it look like to put aside our thoughts and our ways and take up God's? Well, you know, we talk about this all the time. And, and there aren't really all kinds of new examples for every week, you know? It's just reminding us of the same things that we know. But practically, what does it look like? It means 
being led out of, being led into, for example, generosity. And so that we become generous with others instead of clinging to our stuff as if somehow that's going to provide our, our joy. It's just temporary. So it might as well be temporary that we give it to someone else because God says, in generosity, you will find joy because in generosity, you'll find the very heart of God who's a generous God with us. It's, it's letting go of offenses and forgiving instead of hanging on to those things. We think somebody's robbed us of something and so we hold them into account. We like hold them in prison until we're paid back and we can never be paid back for the thing that was taken. God says, you will find joy in letting it go. Also, what do we find in, in that forgiveness? We find the very heart of God who forgave us. Instead of holding against us the things that we had done, the offenses that he had to hold against us, it's, it's speaking the truth even if it costs you. That's a hard one rather than spinning it for your own advantage. You know, we talk sometimes about padding a resume, right? You know, you make your, you, you um, expand something a little bit, make it sound a little bit better than it is because you hope to gain by that. Um, we do that in life all the time, don't we? We try and present ourselves a little bit better, a little bit bigger, a little bit, you know, more put together than we are with other people. Why? Because we hope it will, it will give us connection. It will give us a greater connection with people that will last. It will bring us joy and it won't. God says, but if you, if you will learn how to speak truth with one another, truth seasoned with grace, not in order to tear each other up, but to be honest, to be before each other, to make yourself available and vulnerable to other people, he says, you'll find joy there. It's things like keeping your heart open to others Instead of becoming cynical, especially after someone has hurt you or after someone has, has done something that has, you have, they've let you down, right? So if you'll do that, you'll find joy. Because in that, you look at that list and you go, well, that, that sounds like if I, if I live, if I become a little bit more like Jesus, right? Then I'll find joy. And that's exactly what he's saying. <laughs> It ends up that joy and peace are, are the salvation that God offers. And there is salvation that God offers to us in Jesus Christ, where his spirit is poured out, not to do anything other than just make us more like Jesus. He says, as a result, joy and peace and, and love and kindness and all these things, they are, they are a result of him taking up residence in us. The result of us living the life that he intended, which was just this life in communion with, in alignment with, in, in oneness with him. That's the joy that Isaiah was telling Israel about. That's the joy that was announced to the shepherds by the angels. That's the joy that God speaks to us. So this Christmas... Christmas, what do we do with that? This Christmas, I think there's two questions that we need to ask ourselves. And I, I challenge you guys to ask these. These are, you know, we can go away from here and just say, well, that was interesting. You, I hope that you learned something interesting about Isaiah 55. I always hope that you learned something about God's word that maybe you didn't know before, or maybe something from history that gave some clarity or about plant life. We talked about plant life and Advent history. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. But what I hope you do take is that you take these two questions. And you ask this Christmas, 
what is God asking me to leave? Because if joy is found in being led out from something, there's probably something in your life. If we don't experience joy, it's not because God is holding out. It's usually because we're holding on to something that keeps us from joy. And so what is that thing that God is asking you to let go of? It may be a habit. It may be a practice, a pursuit that you have that he hasn't called you into. It may be a choice in your life, just a way that you've decided to go or a belief that you have or a grudge that you're holding on to. It could be an argument or a cynicism, just that the cynical kind of approach and filter that you filter everything through. And God's saying, you need to come out from that. So what is that? So this Christmas, will you have the courage to ask yourself and ask God the question, what is it that you're calling me out of in order that I might find joy? And the second question is this, what is it that God is calling you into? Because if God calls us out of something, he also is always, he always calls us into something else. So what is he, where is he nudging you to move more into, to speak more or to think more or to act more in alignment, to be just more like he would? Where is he guiding you to know him more to, so that your, your life might be more like Jesus, to be more just and to show more justice in your, the world, not to be caught up in the fads of judge, justice that are around you, but instead to really show his justice in this world. Or, or, or how about to show compassion or to show more the kindness of God somewhere? Where is he nudging you to go? Because he says, that's where you'll find joy. That's, that's where you will find that his spirit becomes like this vacation that en- just invades your life and it doesn't let you go. It never leaves you that no matter where you find yourself, you find yourself in joy because you have allowed yourself to be led out and go out with joy and be led forth, led into with peace. That's where we become, and he says, that's where we become those monuments, those living monuments, that growing living monument of God's faithfulness, that memorial that others see and that sign that points to show them where they might also find joy. Amen?